0: The Last Time I Smoked is an independent entertainment podcast intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hmm. Donnell Alexander.
0: Donnell Alexander. Wow. He should own a bank.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So fancy. Well, it's like Joseph A. Bank. Yeah, Um, totally. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. So we're going to do this. So we're going to have a little... uh, Royal Tree is today's uh, uh, butt of choice. We had others, but... Uh, I think a hybrid or, or sativa is usually people's go-to because mm-hmm.
1: an indica kind of makes people a little bit more yeah. deep I don't know what it, what that it means. does but also I've, I've got this book review I was telling you about oh. I don't, I don't want to like be so so um indica stone that I I want to be sativa stone to write this book review I don't want to be indica Stone <laughs> right. I know that much
0: because it won't be about the book anymore <laughs> <laughs> time I last time I smoked, the last time I smoked. The last time I smoked. The last time I smoked. Welcome to The Last Time I Smoked. I'm your host, Landon Charles Hughes, and today's guest is Donnell Alexander. Donnell and I met through mutual friends at a sports bar watching LA Rams win their division and advance to the Super Bowl. Fun game, not the Super Bowl. However, the high point of the evening was getting to meet Donnell Alexander. His intellect and humor forced me to invite him to be a guest on today's show. I didn't understand the extent of Donnell's artistic and literary accomplishments in the world are massive. His life's work as a writer have led to brilliant contributions to many publications like ESPN, NPR, LA Times, Rolling Stone, KCRW, and many others. Donnell is noted for his memoir entitled Ghetto Celebrity, Searching for My Father in Me. Outside of his impressive wordsmith, resume donnell has received accolades for his contributions to film including the cult hit short film doc ellis and the lsd no-no highlighting the hilarious story of one baseball player pitching a no-hitter while on psychedelic drugs donnell can now be read and heard at weedweek.net a newsletter and podcast offering social information and news aimed at the green rush entrepreneurs and the cannabis industry at large they ladies and gentlemen donnell alexander all right um but you uh, professionally are a writer?
1: That's how I pay my bills. Well, that's not true. That's kind of, I was saying earlier that I'm struggling with this 2,000-word book review because I haven't strung together 2,000 words in like six months. I've been doing a bunch of social media and podcast hosting and newsletter writing for my job at WeedWeek.net. So much so that I, I can't, I can't complete that 2,000-word thought and have it feel like it's one thing, you know? And that's something I was always really good at, and I'm really alarmed. (laughs) Does stuff like that more like, uh,
0: because you've been writing for a while, is it just in your head sort of thing, or is it literally too much work piled up before that's just taking more superiority over
1: this review? Yeah, a little from column A, a little from column B, man. Right. I mean, part of it is, I've been I've been writing since I was nineteen years old. That's how I've been paying my bills, you know. And um I think around two thousand three when I published my first book, it was the calamitous event of my life. It was the best worst thing called? that ever happened to the me. Best, the best worst thing, yeah. Wow. The book's called Ghetto Celebrity, and it ruined my life in a really amazing, terrible way. Um so I had to do things that weren't just writing, you know, just to pay the bills. And I paying the bills, whether I paid the bills is a debatable thing. This doesn't make me different from most writers. But um, I did uh a... I've done enough other stuff like social media and advertising and uh, but your manual first labor. book in two
0: thousand three. One more time.
1: It's called Ghetto Celebrity. Ghetto Celebrity. Yeah, it was, it was uh, fictional, nonfiction. No, it's a memoir. It's a, I was like thirty two, thirty three, thirty four. I don't remember when I published my first book, and it was a memoir. It was one of the best books of the year in the San Francisco Chronicle.
0: Whoa! Yeah. So it's it's been written up. It's it's known. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but some, why so bad
1: then? It's kind of a long story. Do you have time? I think we do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, uh, I I always wonder whether I should tell the, the dark version or the not so dark version. What do you want? What are you feeling? I'm feeling like the, the bright and shiny one, but there's only so. That's because you're with me. No, no, no. no. Everybody else, you give them the dark. I get people always feel that
0: they no. got to be a little lighter. No, no. no I, I hit me. I've been,
1: you know, I have a friend from India who, when I got this great weed week gig, I, I here's how great my work life is now that I write about pot. A couple weekends ago, I was, I was feeling guilty because I hadn't thought about pot all weekend because that's my job. And so it's a great thing, and so. I have a friend who's an Indian dude who's just in the country right now and I was going through this story and he said, yeah, you talk about this stuff in the past a little too much because there's a lot of you know, dark content. He goes, that's not where you are now. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That's not where I am right now. And um, I think I'm going to tell you the version, but it's uh, there's an inherent darkness to it because it was the best worst thing that ever happened to me. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Um, so you know Dave Eggers. Um, I knew Dave from San Francisco, and I moved to New York. I worked for ESPN for a couple of years in the magazine. and um, You're a writer for them? Yeah, yeah. And there was a, it was the same time when A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius was just hitting, you know, um, Dave's memoir. I was really unhappy at ESPN. I was trying to split. You know, it wasn't exactly what I had in mind for the kind of writing I like to do. And... um Dave hit me up. I think I'd actually left. I was six months out, trying to figure out what I was going to do next, and Dave asked me if I'd write a book. Um, McSweeney's was this thing he was starting, you know, and uh, he had put out a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. It was a huge hit. I'd never been around anything like that before, you know. It started with
0: the kind of success that,
1: yeah, I mean, the
0: passion project
1: gets. Well, this is what it was. It was a. It was a good book. Really, really, I'm going to say it's a great book. Dave wrote a great book, and um, it was powered by these parties that he had. You know, he'd he'd have these McSweeney's parties when it was really just a little thing, Mm -hmm. and um, he he's a charismatic enough person, and the 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 amount of brilliant people who would be around and people who admire brilliant people that it was a scene, and so he was able to launch it off, launch uh, his book off of that, and then subsequently the McSweeney's brand. And like six months in, he asked me if I'd write a book because he knew I had it. We'd been talking about it since I, we were both in California. And um, I was developing it. And he said, I'll, I'll give you X number of dollars to develop it. And I said, sure. It was a good number. you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and
0: anybody throwing money at your idea purely is what an inspiration, too. And from whom it's coming from. Right. And where you
1: are at- well, you have to remember he wasn't what he is now. Then, you know, he was brash. Part of the reason this is the best worst story is because, you know, my book was set to come out after nine eleven, and it was not that different from Dave's in that it was a, it was a memoir, very personal, stylized, and uh, and kind of iconoclastic. My iconoclasm and Dave's iconoclasm is different because I'm a black man, and um, so I needed all the help I could get um 9-11 happened and we were in this weird place and i was associated with dave but my book hadn't come out and um i got bumped for a david byrne bible <laughs> he made these oh. little stylized bibles and they pushed me which led to a thing where i wasn't working with six anymore
0: was he thinking it wasn't ready and
1: needed more edit like no was- i just i mean it was here's the thing you got to go back it's a very complicated strange thing it's the strangest thing that happened in my life um he had this crazy idea that we were going to put out a book every month. Ooh. So he had me, he had Zadie Smith, Jonathan Latham. It was like one after another, and he was going to put out his book. And the first one was Neil Pollack's, uh, I forget the name of Neil's book, but it was a humor, um, satirical history of the United States, I think. Anyway, um, I'm going to hit this joint, so it's a pause <laughs> yeah. here.
0: It's a good pause.
1: Lent the... <laughs> So, putting out a book a month, and so I'm just like crazy, crazy jamming out this prose, man. I made myself go to West Virginia, where like my mother was born, and just hold up in a hotel, a motel. It was a, a conno Lodge. I had them take the TV out. Three weeks, just nothing. There, you know, this is dial-up era, so. But you had to do that. You had to make those yeah, plans yeah, and I get back to this place.
0: Right, Woo. right, right. So it was, it, how'd it go? Oh,
1: it was great. It was, <laughs> it was really, I mean, there's so much I could tell, and I'm not going to. But I remember very specifically one day, because it was just, it was sensory deprivation that I invented for myself, you know. I walked a half mile on a snowy road up to a Kmart <laughs> just to, like, have some human contact. And I had my laptop, my little shell top laptop that I I, I, Apple made back in the day and went into the little, uh, the, you know, the cafeteria section they have at Kmart. You must have seen that. They have like a.
0: Totally. We're I, Kmart people.
1: Uh, <laughs> are, are you now? Yeah, Blue Light uh, Special. Are, are, there, are there Kmart products around this humble abode here? Hey, we pick and choose. <laughs> we find good things. Hey, Kmart, <laughs> Kmart did have like. <laughs> It got close to the casualty of Target. It was. But from us
0: us kids in San Diego growing up on a military base, we didn't know the difference. Uh, It it was everything. And so we still go because you're still gems. And there's deals. And we still got to save money. Anyways, back to (laughs) the. Are there still
1: Kmarts? Yes. There's
0: one on. um, It's in across the street from uh, the market at the. uh, uh, um, uh, What is it? The one in West Hollywood. It's not the Beverly Center, it's the uh, the one across the street from I know which one you're talking. They do about. the Mario Lopez TV entertainment show there. I forget I forget I'm forgetting the name because I'm <laughs> fucking high. Not, it's not
1: Fairfax. It's,
0: it's not itself, a
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You boom, sell the Fairfax.
0: Boom. Fairfax and I want to say third. Fairfax and third, you got a Kmart. Home and the home, still Kmart. there,
1: I, now you want me to go drive. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, where where so, were we? Uh, Virginia, you're oh, taking yeah. a walk. You so walk. I, No, I, I go into, it's not, it's, not look, it's called a cafe, the Kmart cafe. Aww. And I remember taking out my laptop and, you know, I couldn't get on the internet, but I just, I was able to, that was part of the, world, the reason I wanted to be there, just to have that isolation to the page. And I remember thinking, I could not be happier if I were on the left bank of the Sand River, you know. This is just perfect for me. And there were just all these West Virginia Kmart shoppers, and I was in bliss. And I, I would, that was what I'd do. I'd walk up the road and do that shit. It was great. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> I, so, you invented the sitting at a Starbucks.
0: <laughs> but at the Kmart. Yeah. Oh, that's... I. I get nervous trying to do anything like that, like trying to write in public work. or get work done in public, you know, anywhere in general. I just, I always feel like I, I'm feeling like I'm being seen and, I'm, and I, I can't write. Whereas like I need like, I got the office upstairs where it is isolation, no TV. Mm-hmm. I have to disconnect the internet. But when I, got, when I get going, it goes. As mm-hmm. soon as the cell phone goes off though, or as soon as, and then I feel that stop. And I get upset. You know, it's like, oh, we were right there. I don't know if I could get that in a Kmart. <laughs> I don't know if I could get that in writing in a coffee shop. Yeah. I'm not good yeah. at it. Yeah. I don't
1: know. No, I think it was It was still new to me. I think if I, like, because I, you know, I, I grew up in newspapers before I went to magazines. I worked at LA Weekly after I, like. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'd been, uh, I came up in dailies. Like, I worked at the LA Times as an intern and, um Boston Globe and so my training was you know you work around people it's a lot less personal writing but it's work and that's where you do it and um by the time I went to New York I was really alienated from ESPN pretty early there's a (laughs) the book called those guys have all the fun where um they talk it's an oral history of ESPN I pretty much indict my own role in my um alienation from it (laughs) but but I was like trying new things, and that's when I started trying to write in coffee shops and stuff like that. Because I lived in Brooklyn, it made all the sense in the world. But um, I was—it was still new enough that I was open to a Kmart, you know. Right. So anyway, that was uh, that was by a big digression from. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. A big digression from New York, right? I, so we're cranking out these books, you know, or we're supposedly. So you doing are it. writing
0: yeah thousands and thousands of words yeah
1: yeah yeah i had already pitched it i see just i i have to establish a timeline or this won't make sense but um i was living in la i'm from ohio moved to california when i was 18 and i got a gig in chico out right out of school i got a gig in san francisco at the big guardian after that and then la weekly hired me to cover oj so i came down here that's how i got to los angeles how did they find you Um, I was writing for the Bay Guardian, and I don't know if you know it, but it's a pretty established alternative paper up there. It was like, yeah, one of the older ones, and they used to matter so much.
0: you're being when you don't even know you're getting read sometimes. Um,
1: No, no, you know, like San Francisco, I have like this much fame. I'm holding my fingers, (laughs) three quarters of an inch apart?
0: But I mean, to be offered work like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the deal. They didn't have any black people, you know, and... The riots had happened. they had been let caught out in a the lurch. There was one person, my friend Linnell George, who's not doesn't live that far from here, I don't think. And but she was going to the Times, and they didn't have anybody, and so they're like hiring outside the area. I think they eventually hired some more people locally, but they hired me. I'd had this big piece about writers and rappers. There was this thing that was going on back in the '90s where the. Uh, the magazine. I got into magazines through hip-hop mags, you know. They were the only ones. If you were a young black writer, that was where you can get in. You get your byline in a glossy magazine. And... Um I wrote a story about how the rappers and writers in New York were having these confrontations and it had gotten to the point where the, all the editors were coming to the office strapped, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it, was, God. it was super intense.
0: And um what words have power. Like whoa. <laughs> yeah. But it but we, I remember growing up in San Diego. We, we can't go to LA right now. It's not fun right now. You make it to Disneyland, but, well, What know. years are you talking about? Um, when we lived, uh, nine, 88 to mm. 95. Well, that's a pretty raw period for LA. Yeah. And San Diego. We never went downtown in San Diego either because <laughs> everyone was so scared in California. <laughs> I remember that as a kid, yeah, just yeah. being like, my parents always nervous. Like, I came up in cul-de-sac because of that, I right. think. Like, we ain't going anywhere. What are we, we're scared. <sighs> and uh, then now, to this day, I, I remember, like, being scared to even move here just to pursue anything. And I am mm-hmm. like, People don't get it. It's stories, yeah. it's families, it's it's people. It's they it's not I didn't. I'm becoming less stupid, I guess, or yeah. more educated myself on what was going on actually instead of just the fear, but yeah, those words have power to like make a movement happen. Mm-hmm. Have people reconsider things. Yeah, checking I mean, themselves and well, like it was, yeah. it was a
1: crazy time though. I mean, you know, I when I worked for the Times, I came down here in '89 for that internship, mm-hmm. and um, I was scared. You know, I, I was going to school at Fresno State and just thinking because I had a blue car and I had friends in South LA. I was like, can I can I take this car down there? And it was it was you know. It was a legitimate concern in some neighborhoods, but I obviously was I
0: worried about my XP Mm -hmm. when I got out here. I was like, Oh, should I bring everybody's got one, but (laughs) but I was worried, like, should I
1: get low I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, you're good. No, it's it's a different it's a different city now. But um where were we where had we gone down that (laughs) what took us down that road? (laughs) Oh my god. Back to you writing books
0: for weeks. (laughs) Uh
1: yeah. Oh, I was cranking out this book, you know, and it was it was super fun because but it was crazy. It was really hectic. There was so much going on. Here's, can I tell you a side story? Well, eventually, get, this might be the only story we tell the show. But this is such a good story. I have to tell you. Um. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so Dave has me, has, Dave is, part of his whole deal with these books is that we're going to, um, we're going to do a bunch of events to support them, you know. And I did a bunch of events at the old McSweeney store in Brooklyn. I think it's still there. I don't know. There's one, 826 on um, Sunset Here is Dave's I gotta check store. I got to check that out. Yeah, yeah. But um, he asked me to do a gig at the New School University in Greenwich Village. And this is like the second time. I'd done one reading at a Barnes & Noble in Brooklyn, low-key, and I was nervous as shit for that <laughs> one. <clears throat> but this, the New School is like a real fucking place you know in New York and there was going to be people there and I looked in the audience I saw lots of names and faces I knew but that's we backtrack just a little bit I'm, I'm reading for this and Dave tells me the thing you got to do is if you memorize it if you commit it to memory just you'll it'll feel great you'll do great so I spent a lot of time uh, in the mirror practicing this thing and one day I noticed a, um, a mark on my face And my son had had chicken pox I had never had chicken pox, oh, no. but I could not fucking believe I was going to have to have fucking chicken pox in this <laughs> Adult moment. Chicken Adult pox. chicken pox. <laughs> and I, and, I, and it was what it was. So I called Dave and said, I got to pull out, you know, because one of the women, one of the people who was going to be reading, John Hodgman, and see this event, uh-huh. um, Amy Fusselman, she was, she had a book, one of the books that was coming out, and she was pregnant. And it's, you know, if you can't be around someone who has chicken pox if you're pregnant, And Dave goes, uh, "No, you actually have to do this. We'll push. We won't have Amy come just because of the sequence of the books coming out or whatever. You got to do this. It was the new school." And I went, "Oh my God, I'm going to die!" You know. And I was just getting sicker and sicker the closer we got to the date. And um, how many days from when you found out? It's like five
0: days. Oh, you're in peak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh So
1: um, I sucked it up. I sucked it up. I'm going to tell you. There's like a I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> it's in your whole body. No, I just felt terrible. I, you, you're in the lethargy, and you just feel sick. It's not a good thing. And uh, <laughs> the day of, I, it was winter. It might have been like March or February, but I remember it being like 45 degrees, not comfortable, and just shuffling to the F train. You know, mm-hmm. from my neighborhood in Cobble Hill, taking forever, just shuffling like an old 90 year old man <laughs> to getting there, conserving energy. And um, there's a version of the story I should tell, but I'm, <laughs> no. I'm going to tell that one. I'm going to cut something. And, you know, if you, you run into me sometime and you want to smoke a joint, I'll tell you the rest of the story. But, so, <laughs> but um, I got there. I got to the new school and I did it. And the, the thing is, I looked like a monster. You know, you have a fear of going on stage anyway. And I could not have looked less appealing, you know? <laughs> I looked like a maniac. And I, I, maybe there was a kind of sympathy component to the audience, but they definitely received what I did pretty well. And you, know?
0: you sucked it up. You did it. Yeah, I sucked it up.
1: Oh. I went on to... Um, it, see, because I didn't tell that one part of the story, it's not as good a story, but it is what it is. <laughs> Beat me up. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's incentive. I'm, yeah. I'm teasing. This is all a racket to get people to smoke me out. Yeah. <laughs> It is
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: very funny. Where oh, so? Where were we? we
0: you know, Can I did. I d- real quick, do you do baseball? Because I met you through football, and I've never been really clear on everything on football. Yeah, like with the safety and all. That's the, so yeah, funny. I, but baseball, I'm. I played. I was good actually mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i had a little like line drives and stuff and i played okay in middle school but i like it now because of like the meditation of the sport mm-hmm. where it's like you got to sit in it and wait and i yeah. love how people like can't take it i like i like i like the uh them playing i like the pitcher and the catcher moti- mm-hmm. i like yeah, learning more about it do you are you into oh, of
1: course yeah i mean if people know my work at all like the most seen thing i had outside of the espn thing i did a story about a guy who threw a no hitter on lsd it's a video um called right. doc ellis and the lsd no-no so i mean and doc only told me that stuff because we could talk baseball and it was it's great but i uh i love that sport and one of the, my favorite things i'm a dad i have three kids but my sons are super into baseball and you know whenever anyone tries to impugn my integrity as a a uh, father who doesn't live with his kids i just went they love baseball so clearly i was doing some <laughs> shit, <Yeah. laughs> you know um because it's fading people don't like baseball like that anymore it's I, it's
0: weird like i used to be a hater <laughs> <laughs> really yeah i mean i just was like i was a hater for all sports anyway it was just like uh because it was such a broy thing and like there was such like a it's a don't ask, don't tell kind of world yeah, where I grew yeah. up, and like you know, what does
1: that wait, What does that mean in where so sports ask, is concerned? Where yeah,
0: it was like there was tons of gay guys in sports that we all knew, but like if they had come out, they would be ostracized mm-hmm. in a bit. You know, they would be eh, well, you're not going to make it to Nats. Like you're not. <laughs> I so I got into like cheerleading in high uh, school, and okay. I knew <laughs> it. You know, and I because I wasn't one. Of, I wanted to play. Did soccer. you see? Did you
1: see that the first male cheerleaders were in the Super Bowl?
0: No. Oh, the Rams. Had the Rams oh,
1: had the, That's right. We have one, right? No, there's two. There's two. two. Okay. It's good. fascinating. Um Yeah, what a change. Well, no, I mean it's 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 kind of a breakthrough in that sport. Um and did there was another story. Well now I feel bad for bad talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. Um no, I, I think uh like the football game, people gave gave it a hard time it was the most it was the lowest scoring Super Bowl in history. Right. This one was. And um I thought it was fascinating. I was at a party, and I wasn't re- like really focused on it, but it was so different, and I w- couldn't help but think the statistics for this game are going to look so wild, you know? <laughs> Baseball demands that of you. It's not like the moment. It's between the things that happen where the interesting stuff is. You know? My
0: husband, Dimitri, loves extra innings. Mm. He, he couldn't think, he'll sit there till tomorrow. He'll, I w- I'm scared if he ever gets into cricket. <laughs> like, oh, right, you know those oh, are I like got, I got into <laughs> cricket.
1: I, the, the Indian guy I was telling you about earlier. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. when I was in Australia, they they just they rave about it, and you start to get it. You yeah, like you want to yeah, learn a yeah, little because yeah. it does have these. Anyways, yeah, but
1: it's fascinating.
0: I loved it. Yeah, baseball. We're gonna go. We're gonna go Dodger game. Oh sure, yes. yeah, yeah, right. I'm a
1: big fan. Um and they were really disappointing but where are we
0: they, well, i love them. i don't want to get to this like that we could do i've never done sports talk before like uh, i never like and it's so i get excited when somebody knows yeah, enough yeah, that yeah. i can like ask questions about yeah. like well see you loved
1: it because you know jesse Katz. um i don't know him personally he came up on my podcast just recently by Ooh, the way yeah uh,
0: yes oh i met him a few times and he wrote this book and he wrote the yasiel you know, Puig thing and that was another inspiration uh, for me to get that. into baseball. Like, and just because the way he talks about it and the way I get to like ask these like pseudo philosophical questions about mm-hmm. like why these things are in the sport of baseball. And I'm like, and he great answers. Like, you know, I just uh, pick it apart later when I get high. And I'm like, God, oh, he's so smart. He's a Not great this. writer. Yeah. 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 So, anyways, yeah, uh, that's the point. Where and I, <laughs> I was going to ask, oh, I think. We're happy. We're a happy team. We're always really good. And I think we don't need to win the big bug. Like, we got oh, all like, we, I, I almost want, because Houston, totally. They had a hurricane. They were playing good ball. Like, they were great. Mm-hmm. But this last one, who was it again? Uh, it just felt so slow. Uh, Dodgers and oh, the, oh, the Red Sox. And the Red Sox. Yeah. Like, of course. That's funny. Uh, you they were say, so good. <laughs> here's the
1: thing. You, you're new to the rooting. And so you feel differently. It's almost childlike, your interest. <laughs> <laughs> but it, once you've been disappointed over a period of time, you, right. it, it gets to you. And the Dodgers haven't won since Kurt Gibson in 88. And what's interesting about that, I'm a Dodger fan now. I grew up a Cleveland fan. I love all the I Cleveland grew up teams. a San Diego Padre fan. But yeah. when, and, and when they won in 88, I was not a Dodger fan. I didn't become a Dodger fan until I moved to New York and became homesick for Los Angeles. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I came back and... Uh, 2000. After, I came back after 9/11. That's how the whole book were thing ends. Oh, that's right. We this this narrative that we have completely abandoned. But we brought it back. We're gonna go there. Um, so I did that crazy reading and I did a bunch of stuff. And long story short, yeah, this is where we were. The, I don't know if we were on there talking about this, but the the David Byrne Bible. You know, there was a Bible that Dave Eggers decided to put out for McSweeney's. My book was supposed to come out, and I took that as you know what, I need my book to come out. I'm, I'm a poor black person who had an interregnum of solvency. That's how I refer to the period where I had money, the interregnum of solvency. Because <laughs> I'm broke now, I was born broke. And I needed to take this book, and so I took it to Random House, and um, you know, it came out, like I said, it was one of the SF Chronicle's best book of the year. I think AOL had it on its list for uh, black books. and What year? 2003. Nice. Yeah, and it, but at the same time, nobody bought it and um, you know I was really I was hindered by that
0: what's its log line what's its synopsis I haven't got into it yet
1: ah uh, well no it's a memoir it's a it's about my life I mean it's about
0: It's all of these that you're saying, like you're telling me right now. I'm getting like the taste of it. (laughs) Okay. No, No,
1: it's really about what it meant to be a black male at the end of the 20th century. But I write, the way I write, I write in layers. When I'm really allowed to write, I write in layers. And it's a book about writing, it's a book about storytelling and pop culture. Because I was lucky enough to, like I said, work at The Weekly. I covered hip hop a lot. And ESPN hired me out of nowhere. I started writing about sports. What
0: made you think? writing. What
1: made you what? I mean I always did. You know, I I was a kid. I was um We're I was good ra- with letters. I was I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. Oh. And nice. there's a lot of reading involved in being a Jehovah's Witness. You know, those magazines they're pushing. You got to read those and Watchtower. To, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Watchtower and Awake, you know. And I was I was um prolific. I wouldn't that's not the word. You know what I I I gave a lot of talks at the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. Good, and eventually nice. I got to do it at the district level and the circuit level, and so I was totally into that stuff. And then I started smoking weed. And I said, fuck this, I'm done with this. This doesn't make any sense to me. And I, um, I started writing on my bedroom wall. It was right around when, um, I mean, I started smoking weed in seventh grade. Not all the time, but enough to open my mind. And you know the book, Jim Morrison book, Nobody here, No One Here Gets Out Alive?
0: Oh, no, I have, I remember Jim Morrison. Oh, the, no.
1: Well, the first one, see, the thing is, The Doors were never critically acclaimed. And really? No, no, no. In their they moment, sound so poppy
0: now, though. I know, now, <laughs> right.
1: They were really unappreciated in their lifetime. Wow. I mean, not, I'd say, yeah, they were underappreciated. That's fair for me to say. And there was a book, a, a Morrison biography called No One Here Gets Out Alive that came out in maybe 81. And I got the paperback version in 82. I was like 15. I'm from a small town in Ohio. I was like, wow, someone lived like this. My God. And I was getting into Hendrix, and it was more like an affect than anything, because I wasn't really, there weren't that many drugs available to a 13-year-old boy. People just tend to not want to get high with a 13 13- But you <laughs> love
0: the, right, totally, no. It's like, yeah, there's in, an age limit still, yeah. Midwestern values. <laughs>
1: Jove about <laughs> Yeah, right, 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 right. And also with you. <laughs> but no, they were um yeah, I didn't um I wasn't smoking that much, but it was more like an affect. And I started writing on my bedroom wall. That was really where I started doing it. And wow. it stayed in my head and it was in the back of my mind. But I went to school to be a um as a psychology major and I had took one journalism class. i moved from Ohio to Sacramento and um, I went to Sacramento City College. I was lucky enough to catch this woman who was like the grand dame of Sacramento journalism. Everybody at the Sacramento Bee went through her. You know, She was really just a- Top big, editor? Um, no, she was, she was a journalism instructor. It was this weird thing in Sacramento where the best journalism education was at the community college, because it, you got to jump in early. You got. I got to write articles at nineteen. I was working at the Sacramento Bee by the time I was nineteen. 19 You're the workhorse. You, know?
0: you we're not going through methods and reading and <laughs> exactly, philosophizing. Exactly. We are working you learn people. That
1: way, you learn. That's it's it's like we were located on campus next to auto shop and the typesetters, <laughs> and that was a sort of vocational sensibility of Perfect. work. Ugh. Yeah, and uh, I I try to be that way. You know, to this day. No, but, don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable because uh, it doesn't come from that. No, it doesn't. No.
0: no, you lose something. I think when it gets too, you know, when you, yeah, yeah you're I would have,
1: I would have change. liked for it to got gotten easy for a minute. It did. I think you're right because I was had that sensibility. And when I went to ESPN, I stopped writing. I was famous. I mean, famous in house and at the weekly too for never writing. I wrote. It's like I'm thinking about things. I'm thinking about <laughs> things, and in a lot of ways, that was my undoing. So yeah, you're right. No, (laughs) so interesting so beautiful
0: like I have a friend back in Tallahassee who writes for them and his first stuff I used to read it's like I don't know what you know to get like I see Mm -hmm. the information but now he's writing stuff and I'm like seeing this evolution in people it's like my favorite the progress of a craft is Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite things And I didn't start realizing that until I started smoking weed. Because, you know, I would have gotten in trouble if I were writing on my walls. I would have gotten my ass whooped. You know, there was a more strict structure. Yeah. I I think that's one of the
1: most fascinating things about this moment that we're in. There are so many people. I'm not diminishing your journey, but people who haven't been smoking for that long. Um, On my podcast, on my debut episode of Weed Week's podcast, I pointed out. Weedweeks.net. Weedweek.net. I've been smoking weed for 40 years. You know, that's insane. And I didn't think I'd, I'd, of course, I never thought I could make a living off of it. But um, there are so many people here now who are like an influx of newbies, you know? People who have been smoking five years or under, not just here, but I mean, in Oregon. Where and I,
0: would you say like full time or just recreational or, you know?
1: I mean, everyone's different. So right. I don't know. I do feel like some people dip their toes in. And I mean, I would say over my life, I smoke more each decade even though i have a better control of what i'm smoking now than i did in my 20s um, oh right totally yeah, yeah. I, yeah i know
0: when i gotta get shit done
1: it's coffee <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you can control your dose differently you never know what you were getting i mean
0: that took time too to learn in a sense your personal like right. gauge of where you know how but you have the you tools gotta get shit done. You, ha- you
1: have the tools now uh-huh. you know what you're getting and right. instead of just a baggie full of I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's Indica Sativa. I don't know if it's been sprayed. Oh, no. I love the labels.
0: I love <laughs> I, I, I love the logos. I like the design. I, I'm okay. If we're going to be on this commercial ride and we're not changing it and we're all comfortable on that, yeah. then you guys got to get better with uh, making me comfortable using it.
1: You know there's no advertising in Canada.
0: That's against the law Yeah That's kind of like Beer
1: should be Sort of like
0: Every time we Or no Cigarettes If I were to ever see A cigarette commercial I'd be like What is that Like yeah
1: And here's the other one Um, No edibles No Not on the Not on the legal market
0: Edibles (laughs) He looks like He's gonna Orgasm right here (laughs) No It's It Um I was writing some heavy stuff through it just being that little like pothead like writer just passionately like writing away for like at least two or three years and while going through film school and just getting all this done and I couldn't save my life in a sense sometimes like it, it, it inspired it scared me a little. To, to, like, take pride in what you've got accomplished thus far and stop, you know, being down on yourself and stuff. Like, it helped me become more empathetic to myself. Fascinating. Yeah. So, huh. things I'm finding out, it's, it's helped through the relaxation, I think, that it gives me this deep sense of, it's a sedative. Mm-hmm. And there's no, yeah. And it makes me feel like, uh, yeah, like I can think through thoughts instead of. Getting all mad or right. you know, saying something stupid or sending right.
1: that bad text or yeah. You know, we had Mike Tyson on the podcast that came out yesterday. Congrats. And thank you. But he um he talked very openly about how he didn't like himself until he had pot and how that's would change his life. He's extremely vulnerable, but I think it's we all started thing. to learn that, though. Yeah. I think
0: we all started to learn that about him just over time, like the projects he would do even recently. Like, he's got that Cartoon Network show. Mm. He's doing his pigeon show. And then we're like, this is letting us in on something that we all like thought we knew. And guess what? You don't know shit.
1: <laughs> and he couldn't have done it. He couldn't have done it before. Um, he talked about it as an ego journey. And I was like, what was it like being in the whirlwind that was your career? It was an ego journey. And he couldn't have had that at realization.
0: Oh. Pause one second. Mm-hmm. My dog sometimes likes to run away. Oh. And she's not. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Probably just the weed.
1: Oh. <laughs> Excellent. We'll cut that out. <laughs> no, anyway, um, I Editing. believe you. I believe exactly what you're talking about, Izzy.
0: Um, but it's cool that I got a, a, a thing in common with my Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, don't weed. That, that was
1: neat. Well, listen. You know... um, our next guest is Alex Berenson, oh. and for those of you who don't know, he's kind of a, maybe over the top to call him a weed prohibition person, but what is his book called, uh, We Must Tell the Children, or something alarming like that? Oh, fun. Yeah, and, and we're having him on, and I think that uh, he's ta- he talks very anecdotally about episodes of manic depressive, ma- crimes that have come from manic depressive pot smokers. Sure. and. It's one of those things where you can scare the shit out of people with anecdotal stuff, but proportionally, the number of people who've been helped the way you and our good friend Mike Tyson have been helped dwarfs the number of people who've had manic depressive murders. And it incenses me that stuff like that gets platformed, it's taken seriously. So I have to be a nice host tomorrow, but I'm going to rip his fucking nuts off. Oh
0: no! Be the center! <laughs> Hold Be the rock! Hold it! <laughs> I know we want to. No, I mean, I, I think he has you to... You ex- kind of have to sit in it, and you kind of have to let them wash that bullshit all over you really? so that they can hear it. And, you know, like, that's what they're... That's their, mm. where they're profiting from is being this sort of entertaining, like, philosophical idea of um, prohibition of weed. <laughs> like, it's so silly. It's so silly. No, you know why it matters to need me. we uh, We do need to have that uh, 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 ying.
1: Interesting. I, here's the thing. I think um, whenever you drill down on these stories, like and you click on the links, and you look <laughs> at the studies that are referred to, they're not peer-reviewed, or they're problematic, or they didn't take, in to, take, take into account the condition, the mental health of the people before they started smoking weed. You oh, know? I'm a PTSD so, vet, so I get paranoid as okay. hell.
0: But that paranoia makes me, I don't smoke. I only smoke like when I do a show or something because I don't need it as much anymore. And like, I got better from it. Like I just mm-hmm. like, I don't smoke as much as I used to now, right. but I, I, I'm so, I want anybody that wants to use it to have it. Yeah. And Cause I, I feel like i more people like you're saying, like you're saying this evidence though is both sides. The other side is there are going to be people that get more out of it
1: than don't. Yeah. It's, I'm thinking it's pretty one sided is what I mean. To oh, say. totally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so what are Weed his is arguments good. that's what i you know i don't i don't want to get into the alex stuff because i'm going to talk to him tomorrow that's <laughs> you know i i've been uh, overwhelmed by work lately and having this um this is actually a good cathartic thing you know because i'm just talking i'm not trying to craft sentences or craft an argument that or anything like smoked. that <laughs> 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 um so it's it's a cathartic thing uh but yeah i got to go deal with him uh as a subject and you know Anyway, we should move on. That's
0: interesting that you're able to bring that to light and and allow that. That's well, great.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, Alex Halpern is our is my co-host, and he is a lot more even tempered than I am. And so, as as angry and one sided as I may seem, he will leaven out the process. You know, excellent. Is it leaven or level? Level. 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 What is leavening? Leavening is what you do to bread. I mean, bread <laughs> bread is flat, so it's all the same. Yes. Right? <laughs> I'm not a linguist.
0: <laughs> so, okay.
1: Can I, can when it can, was brought, yes. Go ahead. Sorry. Do you have any questions at this
0: point? No, I'm just like just taking it uh, all yeah. in. Okay, like yeah. I had no idea. So Washington wasn't like that. No, no, no. no, no, no. It's uh,
1: they're distinct states. They're both places where the um, where the words the um white or <laughs> white supremacists tend to congregate. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot more to the Oregon story. I'm going to take some bites because I can't really talk and eat at the same time. Mm. It was a bad idea. We can actually
0: um, take a pause.
1: So me. yeah, it's a whites-only state, but some people obviously uh, took the risk. Because if you were found to be black in Oregon, you, could be, you were subject to like 25 lashes. Um, and they were still beating people? Yeah, they were still beating people. So people didn't go to Oregon. But this, this was, uh, there was this anomaly. This guy, his parents were from the South had escaped to Canada, and I believe the town was Montreal. The video's on YouTube if you want to look it up, but he goes, he comes back for the Oregon gold rush. There was a California gold rush, but also an Oregon gold rush. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, He I think he got gold. We don't have that many facts about him, but he settled into a canyon in the middle of the state near a town called Madras, and there was an effort made to change the name of the town. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Um... Excuse me, I'm going to have a sip of water. <laughs> <laughs> this guy settles there, lives, lives and dies in Oregon, this black dude. And just because there were so few people, it's very sparsely populated out there. They named the spot after him. Mean, it's a spot on the map for this guy whose name was John Brown. Except until the 50s on maps, it was called Nigger Brown Canyon. In Oregon. Yeah. And then in the 60s, there was a movement to change these names. And they, they changed it to Negro Brown. And it was still that on a map. And there was one guy, a historian who was from the area, moved to New York, taught upstate at a boarding school or something. He came back to Oregon. And he was like, this is unacceptable. Got to, we know who this man is. Let's, let's change the name to his actual name, mm-hmm. John Brown. And that's how I became aware of it. But it's a piece of history that Oregon doesn't know. You know, like they, pe- People in Oregon still don't know that their state was founded as a whites-only state. <laughs> oh my God. Willfully fucking ignorant, you know? <laughs> um, I, I, I hate to say that because I love Oregon people in general and I like the state, and, but that sort of fighting the, their history... Senses me and I had to tell people over and over again. I went to a so is that why um, we make fun of Portlandia because they're overcompensating for well, what like, do you mean? Stuff? What do you mean? Like over- overtly being like too sensitive and PC sometimes. Oh, they're mocking and- it. That's that's I think that's a part of their dichotomy. I think there's a kind of guilt because they, they haven't really reconciled it. Like Germans it- with the Nazis, no, <laughs> and stuff are, well, not necessarily it's different. Nazis, it's different. Right. It, it really so is. Google
0: Cloud is much different than Nazis.
1: I mean, <laughs> yes, no, I think I think like it's something that. That exists in the psyche we're talking about this book that i'm trying to write about this the idea of racial ideals racial ideas and stereotypes that exist deep in your psyche and the stuff that you haven't reconciled and this book has really been hard for me to write about because the stereotypes are so over the top but they take them almost directly from the cartoons that we watched when we were kids and they don't you're younger than me i don't know how old you are but there was a in the on 35. In the 35. In the 80s, I think it was the early 80s, there was a campaign to strip out all of the racist content from the Bugs Bunny, the, uh, the Heckle and Jekyll, you know, all the cartoons. Tech, Tex Avery. I think the Popeye stuff had it, but Warner Brothers played with it a lot more. And they took it all out. But that doesn't make it go away. And that doesn't mean <laughs> <laughs> you're race you're burning things. I mean like you don't know what it is, but in your your parents generation, they remember that shit and it sort of infests, and it affects your idea of who people are. And you know, America's uh, understanding of what black people are is very limited to what they already know, you know. I mean, um how do I say this without uh I want to be clear. You know, that it's hard to co- Comprehend something that's had to exist separately from your society, you know, and black people largely have. Well, you know, the obvious thing is like, we live in your world, you don't live in ours, (laughs) you know? And so there's like, uh, there are stereotypes that go back to slavery that have really existed. And what's interesting about this book I'm writing about, it's called Negrophobia, and I'm reviewing it for the LA Review of Books. I'm saying that like I'm going to finish. I don't know that I'm actually <laughs> going to What's your out. deadline? <laughs> mo- like, honestly, the, de- the, the deadline was last week. I have been struggling with this so hard because of the racial, the racial stereotypes, but I figured it out just before I got here, and I'm almost there. I'm going to finish today. <laughs> no, <but> that's, that's, <laughs> that's tough. It affects you. And just to make your point, it's different from the, um. It's, I think it's different from Nazi Germany. I think it's, it's more like unreconciled stuff in the American psyche, you know, um so i'm I'm trying to deal with that, and Oregon's trying to deal with it. I feel like Portlandia didn't really deal with it. I feel like Portlandia exists, it's like a part of Portland, but Portland itself is a lot more diverse than people know, but a lot of the racial minorities are really on the edges of the city because of these these deals that they made. It was really segregated, you know right. so um, I always thought it was weird. You could focus on that part of Oregon, but it was also, I don't know, it felt like it kind of propelled an idea of what Portland is that isn't really. It's comedy. It's supposed to do what it. What it's do. doing. Comedy yeah. is predicated on stereotypes. It's <laughs> <laughs> That's what's
0: hard for me to do, like some of my comedy sometimes, unless because I can't. I can't say things about anybody else, but myself. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where my comedy gets a little bit better. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. Like It's I get to draw from like my own personal experience. And it's funner, but it is scarier because mm-hmm. you're really like letting people know about yourself. Right. You know, that's you're really interesting. joking about some real things in your life. And you'll yeah. see that with yeah. like, you know, uh, Mulaney and, and Chappelle and like them really talking about now their existence rather than just making fun of the cops or, you know, they're growing into mm-hmm. these. That's a know.
1: natural evolution. Um, and I think you always benefit from talking about what you know. You know, did you see Hannah Gadsby? Did you catch No, that? not yet. Everybody's been talking we about it. You should see it. that. I mean, I think, will, I don't know how you'd feel about it, but it's impactful. It really is. It just makes you think about what comedy is. I, I've been watching a lot of, I, I watch all of the comedians in cars getting coffee thing, and I think a lot about Jerry as a past tense comedian, you know, in terms of like, I mean, he was like, maybe the best one the most identifiable one at the for the end of the 20th century and are we doing that one anymore i don't think we're i mean we never do the same thing but he was so married to a show about nothing everything was a show about nothing not just seinfeld and i don't think we're doing that one anymore no they can't yeah. so i mean your your introspection is probably going to pay off in the long haul oh
0: nice <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i i I think he's still good. I think it's too good now. I think it's just so in him.
1: You mean him? Yeah, yeah, on, yeah. He's on autopilot. Yeah, <laughs> really, though. I mean, he can be, because he's perfected what he does. Yeah. I wish I could be as good as what I want to be as he got to be. At what <sighs> he is. Yeah, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. I do. Let me have that level of um, potential execution, whatever you call it.
0: Um Weed Week. Mm. So now you have some more knowledge about like just like even in the local locale area of LA of like who gets to run these little stores? What are we looking for for like, you know, mandated, like what mm. should we be, you know, looking out for? What do you think? Oh my
1: god. Well I'm not gonna say brand names. One of the things no, no, I- no, no, yeah, no, no. Oh what do you mean?
0: Um, uh, legitimacy. Oh, legitimacy. Legally, because yeah. you can still have a good product and it not
1: be allowed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the. The problematic things about this moment—it's so hard to tell what's real and what not, and the consequences are so high. We did a story on the Tyson episode about the amount of lead that's being found in vape pens. You know? Oh, totally, and, coming
0: straight from China. Like,
1: right? How and, many you need? But if you <laughs> if you think about it, at least at least we have people checking for it. The rest of the country generally Well
0: for a month I don't think we did that. True. 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 <laughs> shut true. it down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um <laughs> but no, I I think it's really hard to know what's who's legit and who's not. and We were talking about weed maps a moment ago and I've heard people, really credible people say this is a this is a fundamentally illegal enterprise. I don't feel that way. <laughs> Federally, yeah. but because of how
0: California's been voting now, no, I think it's they want the Kmart of weed now. They well, that's want, one. I mean, yeah. that
1: doesn't mean it's like legal that it adheres to law.
0: Exactly. So that's the thing. It's like if it, if it wasn't, what should I worry about then? Or what should I be thoughtful of um, mm-hmm. when coming into contact with then these entities that are not meeting that bar yet?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you know that you go to a place. That's oh, I legit. did Yeah. And I, I got,
0: I, yeah, but I've been here so long now. Like I just know I'm like, I can't go in there. <laughs> like wait, certain you... shops are just not, yeah. Up to code. To <laughs> yeah. Just from like a medical standpoint, like as a, like, I used to be a nurse, you know, I was a medic mm. in the military and then okay. I got out and I became a nurse and, uh, sterility and OCD in me are very a big thing. And like,
1: Wait, say that again, what? OCD and what?
0: Uh, sterility, like, oh. you know, being really okay. clean about I stuff. you are saying you're sterile. No. <laughs> <laughs> that has nothing to do with it, Alex Berenson. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, just the cleanliness of a shop. You know, just right, that at right. bo- that at least. Oh, but
1: some of them are some of them look pretty good. But um, I've been to some Shady. Things. Yeah. I like, and yeah. I
0: feel bad. I'm like, oh, you guys are gonna get in trouble because <laughs> like, yeah. you're doing good for giving it, but you, th- no. Yeah. This inside is just. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think they're on the clock. I think this is the year that uh, the cities are cracking down. I know that for a fact. <coughs> and um, I I root for. A, what is a our great number market. right now? Of how many dispensaries do we have? I think we might still be at 167. <laughs> yeah um but you know delivery changes all that there's so much so much more that's being sold via delivery
0: i really weirdly feel like that's a perfect number though 167 One, well because i've never been i mean there's certain parts of pasadena you know where you there's none it's like dry county on that but that's fine but everywhere i go i can bring my card in and start a yeah, membership and yeah. check it out like i
1: I think there's enough of them. But here no, I I I'm going to push back a little bit. Yeah, LA I think has way too few. I think the market mm. would sustain a lot more. If but the, here's the thing, most of the market is going to those places that you're uh, OCD and sterility ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's just call it the sterility. Let's keep calling it sterility. Your issues are keeping a lot of people don't have your issues and they're going there. I I joke cuz I have Child support to pay. The only time I ever feel like a bad father is when I go to legal weed places. <laughs> <laughs> I'm spending way too much money on weed. Um, right. But see, all, yeah, I can also get not at the same yeah, time. Like that's yeah.
0: still a market as well. But I, yeah.
1: I actually can port my life so that I can support legal weed. I cut other places because I know the taxes are brutal. And, you know, there's, there are tax uh, changes on the horizon or hmm? tax changes being proposed in Sacramento right now. For um, the dispensaries, yeah. Well, not just for the dispensaries. There's taxes the on up, growers. Yeah. yeah, all this stuff that gets passed on us. The growers tax, in particular, I think is pretty egregious. You know, these are some of the highest taxes any businesses are paying.
0: Um,
1: what's the concentration like in
0: in other states that have um, legal uh,
1: marijuana? Mm-hmm. They're all very different. I mean, it's not even state to state; it varies city to city. Here, Sacramento, I think, is the city that's doing the best job right now. And they, I don't think they have forty dispensaries. I don't. They probably have twenty seven. Um, but it's how well the um, the legalization uh, the <clears throat> is being implemented. You know, in terms of like the the growers, they're able to get in line, and they're the people who are actually checking the. Um, uh, pesticides, I forget, why am I losing the language to talk about <laughs> people who are checking the pesticides? Those those labs, they're working out okay. They found, did you hear this one? This uh, one lab in Sacramento was just, the guy couldn't work the machinery, and he was just passing through batch after batch as having been checked. There could be a recall. I haven't checked up on it l- lately. But um, they found him. They found this guy who was um, skirting the system, so it's actually working in a lot of places. Um,
0: We're doing but, good oversight on ourselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think once everything settles, and whether it's two years from now or five years from now, it's going to be a beautiful system. I mean, it'll be weird because from municipality to municipality, the rules change. Right. But I think we can work that out. What it bothers me though is like everyone who's been playing fair for all these years, just hoping for legalization, who can't deal with this period where it's not working. They're just getting left out in the cold. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know this, but Los Angeles, Southern California in general, it's mostly vertically integrated companies. There are it's not like a lot of mom and pops down here. Right, a lot more in the, up up north. But um, yeah, a lot of people are getting left behind, and I, I feel bad for them. That's actually why I'm going out to Humboldt to kind of deal with that issue as a writer. What is up in Humboldt? Um, I well, don't,
0: that's what the being growing. Is, yeah, is yeah,
1: but you know, there are people again who help develop this industry. Yeah. It's mature now, and now you've got these corporations, all this Canadian money coming in and saying, thank you for developing that, we'll take it. You know, Some of them are big tobacco, and some of it's big...
0: What could we do to improve, or or what steps could I take? Like,
1: I think it's important to see them and recognize that that's issue number one. Most people don't give it a second thought. Mm-hmm. I think uh, some, a grower told me that what really helps is to make sure that your favorite boutique brand from... Some small farm. If you know about them and you like them, you request them in your store. And if you do that, management will bring that product. You know, Um, and that's an easy thing to do that helps a lot. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't even think of that. Yeah,
1: I think what they're dealing with right now. I don't know the stuff very well, but supply chain stuff. You know, getting everybody in place who who um, is necessary. But the demand is so much bigger than what they can. That's what I'm to this.
0: thinking. I feel like there's still all these chains around it, and like once they release it, the Hulk of this green is gonna just explode. But they're <laughs> scared of it a little. They're scared of how big it will it will turn into. I you don't know? know, the bubble sort of effect. There they might be. I don't know because it's slowed. Well, uh,
1: here's to come. <laughs> I mean, right? It's no, it's coming. And right. One of the things I find really interesting in terms of like new developments. Is it all these industries are self-contained statewide um, pot economies, mm-hmm. but Oregon has a something in their state legislature that's about interstate commerce, which would allow them to make because they have too much weed. The bottom fill out of Oregon's market last year. You can get a pre-roll for three bucks. Whoa! Yeah. yeah Top yeah. shelf. Oh my God! I smoked so much good weed for five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I went up there last last fall, and um, it was amazing. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're paying a premium down here. Oh it's, my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A- even Fresno, I'm, I'm, gasoline is cheaper than my weed. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they they've got this thing. They've got this plan to um, make deals with states, you know. And Sacramento, just coincidentally, where we don't have enough weed. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the legal market, um, Garrett, Gavin Newsom, he's got. A right-hand man who's a weed lobbyist, I definitely take it as a growth industry. And I, f- I think if they can start trading with Oregon, that would be really interesting. And now
0: it goes to federal ideals of law, though, because that's interstate. I know. Or, a- or, or sorry, uh, state-to-state, you know, right traveling I, of so something. They're history. still not... That's the rub. Yeah. But I also
1: think, I don't think Trump has the appetite for this. I mean, he's... He's going to have to build all these walls everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think, number one, I think he's... Just fundamentally, I don't think he's a Republican. I'm a. I've covered politics enough to know he's a pub- Republican out of convenience. He does not believe in a whole bunch of this shit, and, <laughs> and he's a businessman. He's a very exploitive businessman. This is like all the money's up in Canada. We're getting screwed. I wish if he if he were freely able to say we get how to I can't do I, I can't believe I said Trump because I don't normally say his name. Try it. Try yeah. It. It'd be
0: like. All the money that we ever wanted to make about weed is in Canada. we yeah, got to go up there and trade them back.
1: See, I'm glad you did that because I don't even want him inhabiting my body <laughs> on a pretend I bit. suck at it because I just, I can't even but try and it. practice. You did it. I, yeah. You did it. You got the point across. So that, that, uh, I don't think he has the appetite to keep Oregon from dealing with California, and I think that's going to right. be a game changer.
0: Huge, because other states are going to be mad about that, and also jealous at <laughs> some, you know, like Vermont and yeah. stuff with you know Jersey and New York. And yeah,
1: I mean, it's huge. It's fascinating. It changes so much, and Alex Halpern tends to talk about cannabis years happening, like. Four times and the how the normal big of an year
0: economy that we're going to help build with uh, Oregon for, through the, through this because of uh, what we're the fifth economy in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yay!
1: <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't think you don't think they're already exporting that stuff yeah, in Oregon, exactly. yeah, We don't say black market; we say the illicit market. <laughs> oh, my,
2: that's correct. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but, but they're, especially in Oregon because there are no black people. <laughs> um they they're they're exporting it i mean i I don't even need to talk about use your fucking imagination right
0: exactly (laughs) and what are you gonna do put more you know laws on on their backs or release it to see what you get yeah
1: yeah yeah. it's just the idea of all that weed just getting moldy and rusty out there pretty depressing they've got great pot in oregon one of the reasons you see how happy these trees are on youtube videos where they're just like yeah
0: today we're cultivating it's all purple and it's like just there's dust yeah, in the, like, oh, yeah. there oh beautiful they're yeah. big believers
1: up there that you, you treat cannabis like wine I, and i don't even think i mentioned i lived for, in oregon for seven years and came back in 2017 yeah but um let's yeah let's have one more <laughs> um <laughs> They're big believers that the soil in which you grow the stuff plays a huge role in what the pot does, you know, like wine. Right. And that you don't need to – what you see on the label in terms of uh, THC content, whether it's a sativa or indica, that doesn't really tell the whole story. And I loved Oregon. I loved smoking weed up there. Um, I loved doing mushrooms up there. It's a very stony neck of the woods. I think in part because you got a lot of those freaks from the – 70s 60s who left california you know there are more um, more cults per capita in oregon um, than any place in the where who more more cults per capita in oregon than any other state in the union i did a story on that a few years cults yeah i mean well not just cults i mean primarily cults you know these religious cults and intentional communities people who went out to start you you, do you know intentional community that's cute It's a thing, man. Good. You could. You seem like a candidate to Give end him up. Give a tax rebate. You seem like a candidate to end up in an intentional community. <laughs> oh, so you you Landon's find Brandon's house. <laughs> That's kind of it, yeah. Okay, you don't even need to Google it now. It's
0: like theme parks for adults. Yeah.
1: It's the the good part of Jim Jones. Jim Jones had a nightmare. Jim Jones went great for like 70%. No, and but
0: Somebody's going to get screwed.
1: I, I knew someone who lived in an intentional community, a great person who had great kids, but it's this, this an alternative lifestyle thing. I tease, yes. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to be mean. My mom always says, she goes, hey,
0: you don't tease anybody about how they live their life because you don't want them coming back at you, right? Right. So, but, oh. but still, come yeah. on, okay. that's a great word. You're,
1: you're, yeah, intentional <laughs> communities—they're a real thing. I mean, if you look, there, there are some within Los Angeles.
0: Wait, what a way to like help people communally with like ailments or with just living out years, you know, together. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, like, but I mean, if the FBI has to come in,
1: <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's some people who, I mean, there are degrees of them. Cults are at one extreme, but there are people who, are, who's intentional communities weave in their lives it could be centered around something as light as bicycles you know or vegetarianism Uh, but you have to rally around the subject enough i feel bad for vegans and vegetarians Mm -hmm. especially in this
0: part because this is kind of like a food uh, like i don't know there's some good spots but they're really expensive and there's like a lot of fast food but there's no like fresh green like vegan joint or like Silver Lake. Uh, I don't want to like call out places, but like the the faux places or the ramen. I like those. Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot unless they're. Oh, you mean in Highland further... Park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I noticed that we kind of have like yeah, it's either really expensive or it's fast food.
1: But I had a I had a vegan cookie today, a tiny little cookie. It was super delicious. Seventy five dollars? No, <laughs> not really. But <laughs> but I wouldn't have been surprised. I'm sure somewhere in town you can get the seventy five dollar vegan cookie. <laughs>
0: It's out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're um you're hosting a show and rolling a joint at the same time. That's pretty impressive. Yeah,
0: thank you. Yeah, See, yeah. I'm gonna put that as an accolade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I don't have writing awards and books published. <laughs> no,
1: I, no I, I don't have any. Well, I, I, the the Doc Ellison got a, an honorable mention at, at Sundance. It was really a, um, a phenomenon. It was one of these things where I I'd done a piece for NPR with my ex. Um, you know <clears throat> I don't know if you know the story i'm gonna I'm gonna carry the ball while you finish rolling that here thank you, yeah, <laughs> just because I wanted you to be hurry up <laughs> um, i was I was doing the story about what what happened was my book bombed, and Random House threw me a bone because they knew I was kind of fucked, and they said, we've got this book proposal from Barry Bonds. Would you like to Fix it. And I was yeah. like, yeah. And I took like six weeks, turned around this book proposal, which sold to uh, Simon and Schuster. No, we sold it to Random House. Random House said they'll take it for a half a million dollars. I was like, amazing. Barry says, no, that's not enough money. And so I'm like, screwed, because I'm just screwed. Long story short, sells for a million bucks. I Barry backs out. That's part two of, you know, best worst thing that ever happened mm-hmm. to me. <clears throat> so I carry this around for years, like a, just angry, angry, because it was like a bomb in my life. And um, I was, someone asked me to write about his home run chase. And I, and I wrote this really borderline irresponsible personal attack of Barry for Vibe magazine. And I didn't get, I had this idea that I could talk about drugs through Doc Ellis, because I'd heard the story of him throwing a no-hitter on acid. Do you know the story?
0: Uh, You told me the story, but I love hearing it because I think I've seen it or Dimitri, my husband, has told me about it. Mm. And it's like, it's always fascinated me just because like, maybe I've seen like something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. people people should see it. Yes, it's brilliant.
1: I mean, uh, yeah. And the story is he hits his day off. He's in L.A. Uh, He plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates, 25 year old pitcher, barely hanging on in the league. And he accidentally takes acid, decides to go to work, and the rest you should see on YouTube. Um, but he's... Uh, when I did that, we got into Sundance. It was this thing where we did... You, do you know Radio Moments? Are you familiar with those? No, what is this? Driveway Moments. Driveway Moments. I talk about it in public radio a lot. I do some public radio things. I did a... Thing for KCRW last year. I listened to it today just because I wanted to hear my voice again. Like, <laughs> That's pretty good. It's a show called Lost Notes. Lost Notes is coming back this year, by the way. Oh yes, yeah. I have listened to that. Okay. Yes, a so few of I, them. Yeah, I did like the third episode. Um. So Doc, yeah, Doc Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> Doc is um. Uh, driveway moments are when you stop because you're listening to the story. You don't get out of your car, and Doc Ellis was like one of those driveway moment classics and I was very proud of it. I moved on, split up with my girl, I was living in San Francisco and these guys say, "Look, we we're, we we want to make something of this. In fact, we have made something of it. Take a look." And it was a sh- short that took our audio narrative and married it to pictures. And I didn't realize what it was going to be, but they these guys were in New York and they'd rigged it to blow up the next day. And it gets like 750,000 hits the first day. Ah! it's on time magazine's page it's sundance calls us out of nowhere and say we want to put this in the festival it's past deadline when we got to the festival there's no um there's no publicity for it very little it's like barely in the guides or anything so the guy who, the guy who drew the but pic- you're there yeah right the guy who drew the picture <laughs> he has brought these doculous candies these chocolates that have a picture from the no-no um video mm-hmm. and um we're, ta- we're giving them to everybody, like Amy Goodman from Democracy Now. We're giving to all these people to remind them to come to our screening. And yeah, man, it went to honorable mention. We, I, I, it got beat by Drunk History. That was the year, the first Drunk History. Okay. But um, the deal is that mm. they had four episodes. We had one Five minute clip, you know, right? Right. And um, and one of the jurors said, "Yeah, we lobbied for you, but you didn't win." Right. Um. So (laughs) I I mean, I had nothing. I was a fucking public radio piece. I should have been happy. Good job. Yeah.
0: I have this two minute,
1: two and a half minute short
0: film in Aiken, South Carolina that I'm thinking about headed out to. You should do that. Yeah, I want to. It's three days, and the last day they have an Oscar viewing party that they all watch together with all the
1: filmmakers who we (laughs) just. I I'm, I really want to go to the You this, have to yeah. go. If you can afford to go, you should go.
0: I saw the tickets are actually not that expensive to fly in, like, from LAX, like, 200 round trip. Where do you fly? Uh, Delta.
1: I know. Where do you fly to? Into uh,
0: Aiken, South Carolina. Really? Yeah. I was like, what? LAX
1: fly... Uh Huh, it Delta? was that cheap. I saw it on think I don't
0: know. I will have to redo it. Uh, yeah. Check it again. But uh, yeah, have you ever done a festival? I did one. I went to the the uh, the Shiz uh, uh, twenty eighteen film festival. It's the first one where I got to release my film. Wait, it was which in one is Kyle, that? Kyle Texas. What's it called? The the Shiz. <laughs> <laughs> um, you it's... think I was just going to let you go past? <laughs> <that>? oh, <laughs> what? I don't know. I uh, it's I think it's an, it's his last name. Hmm. Um, him and his wife just ha- just started a editing and filmmaking company and I submitted to their film festival and it's their second annual and I got in and I flew out to Kyle, Texas first to Austin ran around Austin for a little bit that's a cool yeah, town yeah. and then went south and then hit a bunch of tolls <laughs> and then I hit Kyle, Texas and it was just this little town at this little like uh you know megaplex in the middle of country nowhere and 29 people showed up. It was the littlest thing in the world, but I was like, mm. yes, wow. exactly the sweet. grassroots start." Yeah. I was so excited. I was yeah. like, I don't want anything big. Like yeah. I never wanted to go, but when I got, I was like so honored to be here yeah. and to be like, you're growing. This is the my beginning. Right. I don't see it well, as well. Well, you gotta
1: go because like it's a lifestyle and, and it would be great to go from like the smallest level to the highest. I've always wanted to be not always, since Sundance, I wanted to live that lifestyle of just making that my vacations so to go do a festival. You know, and maybe when I'm older I'll, I'll go to Cannes and then I'll I'll zip oh. on over to Sundance. And I think Toronto's the best one, right? I mean, that's the one that's supposedly most substantive.
0: Them and uh, the Just for Laughs in Montreal is also the best for comedians. Like, the Why yeah, Canada's that? doing really well. Because they're really all giving everybody tax incentives to work and film there, and they mm. have beautiful talent. And mm-hmm. Have you seen Shits Creek? That's hilarious. Like, yeah, they're... they're they're really doing stuff in Canada. <laughs> hmm, okay.
1: Yeah. No, uh, no. I had to see Shits Creek. I, I mean, I, I, there's a promotional poster out on the street. I there.
0: feel like Canadians are what Americans want to be like. <laughs> like, <laughs> well,
1: wait a second.
0: Some some Americans. <laughs> I feel, Well, it's funny because uh, we will never be a socialist country. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Like, I, oh, yeah. I this podcast is happening the day after State of the Union 2019. Oh, right. 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 <laughs> I, I was going to say that um, Denmark, uh, Portland reminds me a little bit of what I think. To, I've never been to Denmark. What I imagine Denmark is like. Explain. <laughs> no, none of us wants to be a On the coast, I don't think we really want to be Americans anymore. I think that's what the problem is. What I mean, we have different ideas as a population about what it means to be an American. <sighs> and I feel like they're pretty fragmented right now. Absolutely cuz we all have our own ideal of what that is. And, and yeah. Well, on the coast we're creating this new America. You know, there there are like no Republicans left in state office. Did you know that? Orange County has no Republicans represented in Sacramento. Orange. Orange County. Wow. That's where we are right now. It's a transitional period for this state, obviously for the country, but I know and then I was really excited for Gavin Newsom. Yeah,
0: just yeah. because I'm an old fan from when he was just mayor, just like signing gay marriages, like yeah, everybody get married, <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. <laughs>
1: <Are> you, <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah, <laughs> no. I could have a beer with him. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you could. You could probably smoke a joint with him. Oh my god, yeah. one day. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's episode 150. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I'm actually excited for that. Yeah. You know who we had on the podcast that we have coming up, by the way. You know the um, um uh, what's it called? Do you know Mr. Shabinsky Does that ring a bell? Um, what's Oh my God. I feel so bad for blanking out, but this is, I don't usually smoke that much. I don't smoke two, I don't smoke two joints in a row with people unless I, I'm not on the microphone. That's the one great thing. The one great thing I got to do, because in life, of course I do. But <laughs> in, um, in Oregon, I was able to, uh, I, there's a podcast called Hot Garbage, H-A-U-T-E mm-hmm. Garbage. And uh, that was one where I got high on air a bit. And, I only said a few regrettable things. I think today I said zero regrettable things and then i'm not doing my job <laughs> <laughs> I mean, This is the thing in, uh, in Oregon I there was not a lot at stake. It was like that thing where you can make your mistakes in private this is gonna, this is probably going to be the first regrettable thing I say. but um no one 's looking it's almost what does that mean? <laughs> I don't. I wasn't getting a podcast with Mike Tyson as a guest, you know. Right uh, in Oregon, I was the guest, right? And I'm nobody. I was one of my favorite podcasts. I was on. I was like the all time, you know, highest guest, but it, it was a such a small number, and I. And I did this thing called The Conversation Project out there. I I would talk about the history of hip-hop in the Northwest, and I didn't know anything about it, but I found out about it. Northwest, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. and Seattle, Oregon. I even found Idaho rappers, you know. I told some stories. You wrote a piece? No, I I did. I'd go around to, like, libraries and... uh, I did one at the Eugene Public Library. Um, A playhouse, all kinds of venues. And... Talk to people about the history of rap in that neck of the woods because, again, how white they are, they think it's not a part of their lives, and actually it is. And it led me, like, I knew Sir, Sir Mix a lot, is probably the biggest rapper from the Northwest. Um, there's a guy oh. named Cool Nuts. Cool Nuts is the most famous rapper from Portland. He's like, a third tier celebrity in the general scheme of things, but I knew who he was before I went there. But they don't have a whole lot that's famous there. There are a lot of local people, really vibrant, and when I started doing it, like they were still shutting down clubs for having hip hop. That was the crime. That was the reason for shutting down the club. Wow. Oregon was not fucking Ooh. around. Oregon racism <laughs> is some special nope. kind of racism. <laughs> Um but it, but again, most liberal city. I mean, oh my god, more Black Lives Matters posters there than in Blacktown. Oh well <laughs> so, then God bless. Oh. No, I mean the sign is okay. So <laughs> you gotta face your past too. And people didn't like it. I used to go to I I used I used to go to I went to a uh a historian from a college in South Southern Oregon. It might have been the University of Southern Oregon. I'm sorry. No worries. Um was talking about the history of the KKK, you know, at one of the McMenamin's bars. I, if anyone knows Portland, you know, they have a, there's a local chain called McMenamin's. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like, an eating, what would they call it? The thing where you drink and you listen to a lecture. It's like a big thing up there. Uh, and this guy lectured cool. about, lectured about the Klan. Everybody had their drink. I had my drink. And they, t- he talked about this stuff in this disconnected way from their lives. And from, my life at least you know he talked like they talked about the uh the insignias you know and buttons and things like that with this disc- this detachment from the implications of their existence in that state because well there aren't any black people anyway and so i got up and i asked this dude i said like you're talking about this stuff without such detachment what about the impact of the Klan on subsequent generations of people of color here, because they terrorized the Chinese, they really terrorized Catholics. That was their thing. They were not fucking with any Catholics, but they they burned down Chinese Town, um, and Black people just like I said, you'd be whipped if you were there if they could find you. I don't know why they made John Brown that exception, you know? Right. But um, I asked him. I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, there's there were no Black people here. There was no impact." And I said, "No, that's not true. I mean, like on, I mean on policy, like." where you decide where people lived and housing and things like that because as i said you know all the people of color are on the edge of town primarily except for one section downtown where the uh, train porters would live back in the day mm. this is not a very fun podcast at this point but i'm just <laughs> tell you that that's where the black community in portland got to be but it was very um segregated anyway um, so I asked him and he didn't know he, did, he, hadn't, he said he didn't know and that's the thing like you should not be able to stand with that and in fact people started asking tougher questions afterwards because at the very level he shouldn't know that it's about all these fucking buttons and shit <laughs> 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 and, and, um, and for all I know in the 18 months I've been gone the, these people in Oregon are having that conversation with themselves more deeply than when I was there but when I was there like it, it seemed like you know remember um, Ferguson the, the kid Michael Brown yeah when he that was like a turning point for me and that was 2014 i felt like people i mean not for me personally i i you know where i'm standing i mean i'm pretty clear with who i what no, i think but about but for
0: this. me it was just such a young dude that i would have been friends with in middle school like that grossed me out to such a degree that i could not Like i was just blown away by it, it like def- yeah
1: i we came back i had been doing this thing at joshua tree this uh thing and we drove back into town, and it was like people were in the streets. And Portland's small enough that you feel it when that that happens. And I felt like that Michael Brown event was a uh, an inflection point for racial recognition in Oregon. and um, But, you know, they were still really thrown by Trump and the stuff they
0: brought up. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. because then they turn it to money sometimes. They always just have, like, this bait-and-switch, or it's like, oh, it's, it's this thing. No, it's money things.
1: No, it's... <laughs> I don't know. I I took us down a pretty serious path there, but you know, I I laugh at it a lot. That's that's why like I'm writing about this book that I, is really kicking my ass. It's a comic book, but yeah, it's a it's satirical. But what they're satirizing is so intense and so deep in the psyche that it's not fun, but it's funny. <laughs> And I, it's a very short book that's taken me forever to read. Wow! It goes, it's like I have to think about every sentence. Um, you just can't like traipse through and laugh when you deal with racial issues. That's just a fact, you know. You're really fine combing this. <laughs> well, this book's so funny. Like, I like it alternates between winces and guffaws. Which is the what does that mean? It's like you wince and then sometimes you go, <laughs> and that's a tough book. Oh to god, read. that feels like my stand-up set. <laughs> Good for you, man. Oh. No, I mean it's but if you do that and you sustain it, mm-hmm. it's so weird because this book is like 170 pages and it's structured like a script, but it's hard to read. It's like I I read Moby Dick. I read most of Moby Dick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's on my list of yeah. uh books. It's it's
1: you no, know, you know what's great about Moby Dick? If you've never read it, and no, it's on your list, I didn't know what sweep looked like, you know, and in, in art, mm. like we don't we don't really do that anymore. It's in, in terms of like uh, narrative uh, trajectory, huh? Like, yeah, because movies are getting shorter in general. Remember the Godfather? Godfather's like three and a half. Godfather Two's three and a half. <laughs> Shit, that's that's the part of the podcast. <laughs> inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, you're good. Well, this is getting cut, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, um, he spilled something. <laughs> you know, we've made a huge digression when we're talking about sweep. I mean, what's the last thing you saw that was Sweeping. Thanks, man. Not swooping, swooping, swooping. Like swooping but s- no, no sweeping. sweeping. Like just like a, like an aria might be sweeping. Uh, oh yes, yeah. Is, okay, that's grand. That's yeah. Yeah, that's but the, the trajectory is like an upward, like a wave or something that builds slowly. A sweep. Yeah, Moby Dick is that. I can say that. Okay, but. I'm excited. <laughs> Is it over there? Oh it's on you have a picture of the book. <laughs> <That's> it's <about laughs> your intention, there's no commitment. <laughs> you don't even have the book here, dude.
0: Yes, it's in hard copy upstairs. Oh, okay. We have some <laughs> I have to make podcasts.
1: <laughs> well you know, that's why I can't write anymore. Oh.
0: These other mediums are killing me. No, it's what do you do you enjoy it or is it stressful? You like it or
1: uh, Well, I, I you know, maybe I'm just I'm talking about this particular book review and it's a really hard book to write about. And um I've convinced myself that I can't write anymore, but <laughs> but I did have that success this morning. So but I, I was just kind of prematurely blaming podcasting <laughs> for my inability to write.
0: I make so many things up in my head to be angry
1: <laughs> and just not get it done. Yeah, I'm just like yeah. oh. maybe that's what it was. But um I I got the hang of it today. I really do. That's it's good to talk about it because yeah. Um <laughs> wincing and laughing, alternating that is a hard way to you don't get a lot of uh momentum, you know? Uh
0: yeah, absolutely. If uh. I don't know. Writing is not my forte, but I am getting better at such the simplistic nature of just a uh, set-up punchline, where <laughs> when I used to do it, I was very poetic with it, or I was very, like, prose. I'm performing, like, speech and debate from college. Like, right, right, right. And, and it's, that's not what comedy is, no, Landon. There's no. this, like, uh, sort of give to your audience, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a, a big give. <laughs> right you know uh, yeah a view in and stuff and so like thinking of the new things to like discuss and you know the new premises i want to start tapping on because I, uh, most of my stuff does feel old cuz what the iraq war was t- 20 years ago now and right. we're not we're not even there anymore it's just afghanistan and like we're coming home from that and like everybody's kind of chilling out a bit so i think weed is helping with that momentum <laughs> like but yeah instilling the chill but uh yeah i got to get into all these books, too. <laughs> no. no. I,
1: I think I'm really, if something's impacting my writing, it's uh, social media, because I do that for hire sometimes. And that's a different kind of writing. I mean, it's closer, oh, probably closer to... Oh, actual yeah, the tweets yeah, yeah, and the social media right.
0: posts on Instagram. Yeah. I got rid of my Facebook. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can't get rid of your Facebook. I feel Facebook. like, but I feel can like you? I'm one how, of those... How, how did you get rid of it? How do you get rid of it? I deleted it.
1: You're still there.
0: I'm sure, yeah. but up to the point of deletion, I see. <laughs> and I'm done. Yeah, I did a, I did that sort of like uh, uh, from uh, half baked at the end of my Facebook career. I was just like, "Fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, you, I'm yeah. out." I did that. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "I'm done. I can't." And uh, I. Shut it down, I deleted it, and I feel like I'm now I'm one of those people that used to say, like, yeah, we don't have a TV. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> it's so you? bougie. I think it's great.
1: I was the woman I was in a relationship with in Portland, she was um one of those people and it helped our relationship so much.
0: I just I don't I can't trust myself with it.
1: I can't trust myself with it. What do you do? Are I'm you, not a professional. Are you person. an oversharer? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. bad. Yeah. I'm just like Who's I can see in? That. I can see that. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Cause it's such. I like. Lo- I people take this whole journey so seriously. Some like it. We gotta learn. You gotta move on. Mm-hmm. You gotta like help.
1: <laughs> well, I think of them as personas. Cause I, I did a gig as the L.A. Coliseum. I was at L.A. Coliseum in two thousand seventeen. Um, I do other accounts, and you take on the characteristic of them. I think that filters back into how I present myself online. Cause I tend toward oversharing, but I decided because I had a real period. There's a representation of myself that is like he's being part of my brand is kind of confessional, you mm-hmm. know. And this is I'm giving away trade secrets. <laughs> you can appear confessional without To listen
0: to the rest of the podcast, pay 99 cents. Yeah, paywall, it's paywall me. content.
1: All right, change the subject.
0: <laughs> no, no, go on. But, but but is that what people are attuned to? They want that actually. No, I'm or? not
1: I'm saying I think that I think it's more artful to tell a story about you that isn't like you just pulling out all your shit and you hit the points that people come to expect from you, but you also diverge from them. It's a representation of your life, but it's not... My memoir is really like... What I tried to do is like, this is a story... It says that in the foreword. This is a story of my life, not the story of my life. And I think you can do that in social media, too. I didn't understand that initially, wow. but I do now. And I, I mean you know people who know me in real world they see fidelity in what i put in social media but it's not the totality you know
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a trick i mean you know i had a i had a gig selling um lice clinics of america <laughs> And that's that's a tough sell on yeah. social media. Who's you you're gonna follow lice cl- clinics that that's so private. No one's gonna do it. Not, you know, and that's the tough Moms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then they're gonna talk. Did you see what she liked? Oh my god, what's going on in that household? Uh,
0: Keeping a clean head of hair.
1: <laughs> yeah, mean right. judgy. Yeah. No, so it was Lice Clinics of America. The other one was uh uh it was uh, this this uh, toupee thing. Oh, not it's not what they call it. Hair replacement program. Right. And this Elon Musked. <laughs> is that what's going on? He looks great,
0: right? He got because when he was like, like twenty years younger, it was it was almost done, ah. and then now he's like seventeen-year-old. Yeah. yeah, it's. I don't think. I don't think it, it, it's. It,
1: this one was that good. It's so thick because in the front. this guy it was this guy. I can talk about it now, but I signed a, r- a waiver, but I. I don't know. Um <laughs> It was. A, he was a very famous football player, uh-huh. and he he got this uh procedure, and that was the whole build-up. I was doing all the social media to get there, and they couldn't figure out why the numbers weren't getting him. It's like because it doesn't look real. I remember this conversation. My my because I was. My girlfriend confirmed that I said this. I demanded that they fire me. They said, are you with us? You're either with us or you are not with us. And I said, I am so not with you. It looks terrible. Please <laughs> fire me now so I can get paid. <laughs> and, um, and they fired me, yeah. But the guy came out with this new hair and it was so preposterous. He was ridiculed across many, many platforms and I felt like there was no blood on my hands that's correct yeah, I I th- <laughs> yeah I can't believe people do that to themselves I'm gonna be bald and I'll I'll accept it I'll accept it uh, yeah.
0: unless there's a part that they're, <laughs> <and> they're paying <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: this is gonna look like, look like Elon Musk, maybe.
0: Yeah, and I think that they, that's the thing too. It doesn't look bad. Like he did a good job with it too. It's like the advancements of uh, uh, plastic surgery, but also that's another craft. Surgery, mm. you know, it's not. It's the practice of medicine. Like yeah. that's, ugh. and the illusion of what you're looking for too in a person. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. if it gives the person confidence, I think go for it. But yeah,
1: I know some people who've made it work for them. Really. Yeah, but I, I have feelings I shouldn't express here about... Uh, hair loss? Oh, not hair loss. I just mean plastic surgery. Oh, plastic surgery. Yeah. Hair loss. I mean, but that's the same thing, isn't it? Why isn't it Did different? you
0: ever see the Joan Rivers documentary?
1: Sure. Did you,
0: uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I did. Uh, uh, it was uh, very good. I was blown away by that one just because of, like, my views on on, you know, like... She hated herself. She was a comedian. Like, she was so depressed, but she was just going through it and fucking like her husband just ends it on her and the Mm -hmm. bait like just learning all this i was like again like something like you can't judge somebody just because of like a thing you know that they do with their you know their skin and everything you kind of like help them you know just support them
1: i was around a woman last year who makes me so sad she was so sad she she'd had plastic surgery and i could see her sadness she had like this expression kind of frozen on her face of general gladness but she had lost a child and it was the anniversary and i remember just like the contrast between who this person was that was seeing her whole aura and all that and this uh, this expression that was sort of plastered on her face It was disconcerting that's my only problem with that stuff is i want i don't want there to be like a remainder <laughs> with emotions <laughs> you know what i mean totally yes uh
0: i agree with uh a, a smaller botox <laughs> yeah well
1: I, i'm a candidate man i remember thinking like because i'm i'm trying to like i'm physically vain yeah and i was thinking i i'd, I'd I get liposuction. I don't really need liposuction. Why do we get liposuction? Yes.
0: Yes. But I don't want a dentist to be doing that. And there are some states in which a dentist can be doing their liposuction too. And I'm like, nope. I want a plastic surgeon. Florida. I'm guessing Florida.
1: Florida. Correct. (laughs) that's such an easy joke that's annoy. the easiest joke man um yeah but a lot of that stuff like the big booty thing happens in florida these women just getting these enormous asses the apple bottoms well you can call them that yeah some of these are just over the top flo rider calls them that <laughs> yeah he's the representative he's like, i love him he got out okay. of
0: clear, uh, a clear water florida or a clear what is it clear springs florida can't remember the exact name, the city of the, but he got out of that. Like All he, I
1: know is the thing that made me sing
0: it rap rapid, like
1: yeah, he's great. He's I, I he had a hit, and I remember thinking that was a cool song, and he went away, and I I thought he was, I th- thought he didn't have a career. That's when I realized I was outside of popular music, and I should not be a critic anymore. So I, 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 I realized, music, I realized he was huge. He's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I feel silly though when people give I give my recommendations for music because <laughs> well, when I listen to the stuff people give me, I'm just like, "What in the world have I not seen yet?" You know, it's, it's, and mine is so basic.
1: Well, maybe, yeah. maybe you're hanging around the wrong people. Yeah, maybe. Uh,
0: <laughs> but if you're like full
1: writer, you might not be. No, a...
0: I've been getting better. I've been in L. A. now, so I made some friends who actually like uh, curate this stuff okay. now. They're you're, they're giving me some good feedback, but mm. yeah. Uh, I came up from a, a very pop pop, you know, a heavy high school uh, career listening to like what? To what were you listening NSYNC to? In Sync and um, who else? Like but that's normal. Pink and, that's yeah, kind of normal. Totally, but and then I would have like a emo phase where I was listening to like Corn uh, and like, okay, uh, I saw Corn
1: once. Yeah. I, I saw corn. It's a very funny story if you have a second. Yeah. <laughs> of <No, it's> course. <laughs> what are we doing? We're just podcasting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so oh, I have one question.
0: at Finish the corn. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I have one last question and then we can. Okay, cool, uh,
1: yeah. cool, cool. Um, oh, no, I, I was doing a story on Ice Cube for a magazine called Gear that doesn't exist, but Bob Guccione Jr. did it. Um, and uh, I was interviewing Ice Cube, but he was performing at a. <laughs> He was performing at this jer- arena in Jersey with Corn, Limp Biscuit, and um, I, a very famous German group, uh, Ramstein. Ramstein, yes. Duhas Beach. How What's the song?
0: Duhas. Do I don't know. I think that's the name of it. Duhas. Well, how were you able to
1: pull that out? Because
0: that's another emo like time. I was listening to Ramstein. They actually came out with a, a song a couple years back that was really good. Like, yeah, there's okay. So you get that's kind of a weird bill for Ice Cube to be on, no? I kind of see a very good similarity now from Germany people. Yeah, German and Ice Cube. Yeah, and Americans looking at Rammstein. Yeah.
1: Okay, okay. So they're playing this arena in Jersey. It's
0: kind of a fun
1: mix, but go on. Sorry. That's okay, that's okay. But I was working for ESPN at the time. I was just freelancing this piece. And um, I dropped... uh, I dropped acid at the end of the interview. I remember telling the publicist, she said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. I just <laughs> took acid. And she, she immediately put me, on a, put me in a car back to the city to this day we laugh about it. <laughs> but um, this is the thing, this is a great note to end on because this is my life in a nutshell. I'm, I've been poor. I've been an outcast. I've been in Oregon, nobody knowing who I was, whatever. And my journey is fucking amazing. That night, That night I got back to... I went back to ESPN on acid. <laughs> and and I made some phone calls to people out here on the West Coast, just decided to walk around town. And I remember walking down Broadway and there was this parking garage that had was very very well lit up, you know. And I was mesmerized by this parking garage and all the beautiful stuff, you know, activity and um, in the village, we're in the village at this point like West 4th Street. And I remember thinking that garage would be the most interesting thing in my hometown. was <laughs> an amusement park in my hometown, but aside from that, very boring place. Um, and the actual is the amusement park supper. But it would have been the biggest, most beautiful thing in my town. And it's just one thing on the street right now. And this is my life right now. And I'm just going through all this amazing shit. And um, that's why I'm glad I took acid when I interviewed Ice Cube. <laughs> <laughs> how was he? Oh, he's good. I talked to him a lot of times. So really? We have an ongoing. We have an ongoing um, uh, nothing. No. I I know I. I mean, I But you you wrote the piece? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was cool cuz I I I had uh, interviewed him when his first film came out and um which one? I, uh Players Club, which I bet you did not see. No, I did the, not see Players, Players club. club. I want to Pla- see the beginnings. <laughs> it, it happens in a strip club and I was like this when he becomes a family star I'm like, I didn't see that coming from the Players Club, which, you know, he directed and all that. But um, it was fine. It was fun. It was uh, it was the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: My last question is, and I have to ask ask all my guests. um, uh, You think weed should be legal or not?
1: (laughs) Uh, Weed should be legal immediately. It needs to be studied immediately. Studied, yes, yeah, that's when we're gonna because we're just guessing at the benefits at this point, ballparking every single thing. And, um, you know, are we setting up like sort of standards or what are individually? I mean, obviously, like states like Indiana are going to be so far behind and they'll probably have the benefit of federal legalization at that point, but out here. Everybody's doing different things, and that's kind of good, you know. Amy, you know, do you know Amanda Chicago Lewis? She's Rolling Stones' uh, pot journalist, and she was on her podcast. She said, "In a way, this is the heyday of it because there's so much different stuff going around, and consolidation is so around the corner, and people don't even know about it, right? <laughs> um, so there's all kinds of ex- experimentation going on, and I choose to look at it that way. I, I don't want to say like the, the big corporate pot thing is an inevitability but they've got such a head start i am really appreciating this moment and learning all the stuff that's going on from city to city you know that's my weed take yeah, yeah thank you thanks man thanks for having me uh, um what was the last thing
0: Shit. good all right, Donnell. How long did we talk? Donnell is done at fifty-five minutes plus the last one was about thirty. So i I'd like to thank my guest today, Donnell, for hanging out and being a rad on my podcast, and of course, I'd like to thank the listeners because you all rock. Also, um, I'll be in Aiken, South Carolina, the end of February 2019 for the Southern City Film Festival. Uh, you can look up my film at southerncity.org. My film is entitled I Am the People of the Mob. It's available on my website, but uh, I like seeing it on the big screen. <laughs> uh, if you're in town, you should go to that. Uh, it's going to be cool. Also, catch me weekly at the Hollywood Nights Comedy Show in Open Mic at the Hollywood Hotel Route 66 Bar and Lounge on North Vermont in East Hollywood every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. for the Hollywood Nights Comedy Show and Open Mic, which I co-host with Jessica Mulder. It's awesome. All right. I love y'all. Bye. Theme music by Ron Halperin. Logo design by James Hasey. This has been a production of LandonCharlesHughes.com.